with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host today, Eric Allen. We have, uh, or at least we think we have four panelists, but at the moment we have three. John Zukowski? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is not going to be a good day, I can see. Yep. <laughs> and, and Peter Ewart and Herb Martin, who's Herb just got back from sunny California, so he's all tanned up and ready to go <laughs> take the winter on. Uh, <clears throat> the first thing we're going to get into, James will be here later, I think, but uh, in any event, we got a kind of a heavy schedule. We're going to get into the hydrogen ammonia plant that's being proposed for BCR industrial site uh, more specifically, the uh, Willowkill uh, Industrial Site on the Willowkill Road in the BCR Industrial Park. So, <clears throat> lots of uh, interesting things around that, and uh, Peter has a lot of information on it. There was a public hearing held here uh, last week sometime. I wasn't able to get there, but they've got a lot of handouts and that it gives out a lot of information. But we'll get right into it and. Uh, just see what it's all about. Go ahead, Peter. Thanks, Eric. Um, Fortescue Canada, which is part of the Fortescue Multinational, is proposing the development of a, a as you say, of a green hydrogen and green ammonia production <coughs> facility located within the traditional territory of the Clayton First Nation. It will be situated in Willowkale Industrial Park, which is inside the boundaries of the city. And once in operation, Fortescue Canada says that it will produce approximately 140,000 tons of green hydrogen and approximately 700,000 tons of green ammonia. This is a big project with huge implications for the local and provincial economy, for the Clayton-Tenay First Nation, and for Prince George community as a whole, whether for jobs, economic development, the environment, air and water safety, etc., but, but before I go any further, I want to explain a couple of the terms related to the project. Fortescue says that the project will produce about 140,000 tons per year of green hydrogen. So what is green hydrogen? Green hydrogen is achieved by passing an electric current through demineralized water to separate out its two elements, hydrogen and oxygen, in a process called electrolysis. It is called green hydrogen if the electricity that is used is generated from a green source, such as a hydropower dam, solar, geothermal, wind, um, with zero carbon dioxide, dioxide emissions. The key thing is the power does not come from fossil fuels. In this case, the clean power would come from the BC hydro dams in the Peace River country, which would provide 1,000 megawatts of power for the project every year. When electrolysis takes place, the green hydrogen that is produced is stored, transported, and used for a variety of purposes, including hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles such as trucks to replace fossil fuel-based hydrogen industrial processes. And, uh, and in the case of the Fortescue project, to be, to be made into green ammonia. On the other hand, the oxygen that is produced in the electrolysis process is allowed to go off harmlessly into the environment. So what is green ammonia? It is a gas produced naturally in the, envi in the environment, but as in the Fortescue project, it can be produced synthetically by combining nitrogen with hydrogen at high temperatures in a process called ammonia synthesis. 
what is produced by using renewable energy like hydro, when it is produced by using renewable energy like hydro, it is called green ammonia. And it has wide uses, including in agriculture as a building block for fertilizer and as a feedstock for many industrial and manufacturing applications. So what benefits are said to flow from this proposed project? According to Fortescue, the project has the potential to result in a wide range of economic benefits, including increases in employment, gross domestic product, labor income, government revenues, as well as enhancement of workforce and business capacity in the local area. It is estimated that the project will create more than 250 direct jobs during the construction phase and over 100 permanent direct jobs during the operations phase. But overall, Fortescue expects that over 2,000 jobs will be created in northern BC, not only related to the construction and operation of the plant, but also indirectly through growth in supporting businesses, income and expenditures in the local economy. Being one of the largest green hydrogen projects in Canada, it will contribute to both provincial and federal decarbonization goals and raise Canada's profile as a global producer, supplier and consumer of green hydrogen. So what about safety issues? Green hydrogen, like other fuels, is highly flammable. Fortescue points out that also like other fuels such as natural gas, there is a degree of risk associated with the production, transportation, storage and use. However, it claims that one of its core values is safety and will be a key consideration in the engineering of the project and that it will follow, follow applicable industry codes and best practice guidelines. On the other hand, green ammonia is also flammable, is a toxic and corrosive gas and can, can explode under certain conditions. It is transported as a liquefied gas by rail, road or pipeline. Fortescue also emphasizes with green ammonia that its core value is safety and that it will follow applicable industry standards. So my initial thoughts. I like the fact that it appears that the Claytonay First Nation was included from the beginning in the proposal process rather than having something imposed upon them as has happened too many times in the past. Furthermore, According to documents that is released, it looks like Fortescue has done quite a lot of due diligence and consultation in the community and region about the project. So this project could contribute to the manufacturing base of, of the community. Processing and manufacturing our raw materials is a key part of our economic development as a region, province and country. This project, along with other hydrogen-related projects that are being proposed, such as the Hydro Energy Project and the McLeod Lake Indian Band pr- proposal, uh, which was announced recently, could help diversify our economy and provide a foundation for further development. However, now is also the time to look closely at the safety risks and environmental issues of this project, whether it is during the manufacturing, storage, and transportation of these highly flammable and potentially explosive chemicals. It is also a time to look at and discuss how much government money at both the provincial and federal levels will be handed over to the multinational company, to this multinational company to develop this project, and whether it is just more greenwashing using public funds. And it also raises the question is, why not public, why is BC Hydro, which is publicly owned, why, why is it not taking on projects like this? Why is it that foreign multinationals are the ones that uh, do this? In any case, now is the time to ask questions and raise our voices. 
Okay, thanks, Peter. <clears throat> There's lots of different uh, aspects to all these industrial plants, and of course, every one of them have their little idiosyncrasies. Uh, one of the things they're going to get into, or they've already got into to some degree, is transportation. Uh, they're kind of lowballing what's going to go on with this ammonia, but it appears, I mean, they've talked to uh, Ridley Terminals and Prince Rupert, and uh, <clears throat> they're talking about shipping it in rail cars, so we can conclude that a lot of it will be going for export to Prince Rupert, which means it also has to go overseas uh, by ship, so it has to be unloaded and reloaded again in Rupert and transported by ship over to uh, Japan or China or wherever it's going. So <clears throat> number of aspects there. And they did touch on the fact that, uh, you know, as they're producing this stuff, they'll hold it in their yard in rail cars until they get a train load. And, like, I was kind of wondering about that. So a train load for uh, CN Rail is probably a minimum 90 cars. But, uh, you know, if that's the case, <laughs> we're talking about some pretty heavy-duty storage of... Uh, you know, the dangerous goods in the yard over on uh, BCR. But we'll get into that later, or somebody will, I'm sure, because it all has to be fleshed out. <clears throat> the other thing is there's a lot of water that's used in the process of making this, and, of course, the water's going to be from the Fraser River, which is what we consider dirty water, uh, as opposed to the Nechaco River, which is a lot cleaner. But now we have the Nechaco that runs into the Fraser before it goes south from Prince George, so it's pretty well all dirty from Prince George down, so they have to put that water through wa washers and clean it and get the sand out of it before they can further process it, and that's a big, big, big issue. Pulp mills have the same thing. If they can't get clean water at certain times of the year, they have to make off-grade pulp, or what they call brown pulp, and sell it at a reduced rate. But you can't do that with these chemicals. You have to. It has to be done properly, so, so they'll take all that dirt and everything out of the water and then the water will go back into, along with the sand, back into the Fraser River. So take it out, process it, put it back in. <clears throat> what does this do? Or what impact does it have on the river overall? I have no idea. You know, I guess, again, that's something we'll find out. So maybe we're just going to start off with James. Since he was late, we'll let him go first because he's not prepared. <laughs> what do you think, James? Have you had a chance to look at this thing at all? I, I did read a couple of those articles, and I, I understood that there's a lot of what they called uh, brown hydrogen as well being produced, which is, or blue, sorry, blue hydrogen, which was from natural gas. You take the natural gas coming in on a pipeline and, and crack it into, into hydrogen. Um, that yeah, so may have... Blue, blue hydrogen is take, taking uh, natural gas... Uh, turning to hydrogen and uh, and sequestering the, the, the carbon. So using it, this project is going to be doing that. Uh, well, they're saying it's green, so Close they're going. So they're this gonna, is different than than the one we read about. Uh, yeah. So this and the Mitsubishi one. The Mitsubishi one is, I think, it's going to be blue, right? They're mm. going to they're going to take natural and, gas. And I think it was a mix of the two, blue and green. Yeah, I. I I mean, ammonia is a pretty dangerous substance. I, <clears throat> a friend of mine in refrigeration told me there's enough ammonia in the brewery in the downtown Molson 
brewery in Vancouver, if those, if that ever got out, that basically you'd have to evacuate all of downtown Vancouver. So, yeah, I think there's some, some safety issues there. It could be, it could be a good way to produce, uh, local fertilizer. I think a lot of our fertilizer, the, the basic building blocks of it are imported from places like Alberta. So we do go through a lot of fertilizer in this area. It would be good to be able to produce our own. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to learn some more. I, I think all, all in all, it's it's the kind of project I guess we want to see see happening. But you know, good points, Eric. Because if this is if we're pulling water out of the Fraser River to turn into hydrogen through electrolysis, I mean, how much water is that going to consume? I think those are some. I haven't seen those numbers, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd want to see that for sure. Yeah. So let me get Herb in on this. The uh I don't know about that, uh, you know, the ammonia hydrogen thing. I mean, I think we have to stop somewhere along the way. We're talking about 100 permanent jobs. In the big scale of thing, that's basically nothing for us, for the city of Prince George or something. It's 100 jobs, 200 to, to build it, and then 100. Uh, we knock those off every time we shut down a mill. You know, 250, 300, 400 jobs are going out the window. And we've been taking 20 or 30 or 40,000 jobs out of here in the last 25 years. Now we're going to dance the dance of uh, laughter and gaiety for 100 jobs? I don't think so, unless there's something really good in there for us that makes it worth our while. You know, because, you know, if you do the association between the risk and the benefits... Now, we know the late, late neighbors in on the ground floor, and they're going to get some benefits. Certainly, the company wouldn't be here if there wasn't big benefits. The government, uh, you know, maybe the uh, federal government and the provincial government, they get some tax dollars. But Joe and Jane's citizen, what do they get? We get an opportunity to pay the taxes. We've built the infrastructure. We've done all this over a period of 100 years, and they're just going to allow us to continue to pay What's what kind of facility is it? Like how how big of an industrial footprint are we talking about here? It's just basically where uh, in the Willow Hill there, where the uh, pellet plant was, and down a little bit south of there towards the uh, Haggith Creek Bridge. Is this going to be something like as big as a pulp mill? Uh, it wouldn't be that big, but it would be in that. Uh, it's a fair size. It's a fair size for the plant outside. So, but it but it only employs a hundred people. So, you know. I mean, if, if you look at the over, world production of hydrogen, is about 100 million tons uh, a year. So this, this plant would produce about one-tenth of one percent of the world's production, present world's production. So it's really not a big uh, deal in terms of overall, uh, you know, the overall world, uh, world view. So it's not, um, it's not earth-shattering. I mean, if it's, if it's, I'd say it's a lot better than that plastic plant idea they were going to bring in. And yeah. if it was going to be between us and the plastic plant, I'd, I'd, <laughs> it would be this one. That's a low bar. <laughs> the thing is, we've got to ask ourselves, well, why Prince George? How come the carpet baggers showed up here? <laughs> okay. Because well, they come here because usually they go into areas that are remote are having serious uh, trouble with jobs and creating jobs and, and have advantage of us. and yeah. have the other things that they need and we have the uh, the electricity the cheap electricity and that's what they need peter 
Uh, well, yeah, and also we should put it within the framework of what's taking place uh, federally and provincially. Uh, you know, the federal government has uh, announced that it's uh, going to have a clean hydrogen investment tax credit program, which would include a 15% tax credit for equipment, you know, t- for, uh, you know, companies that produce clean hydrogen, as well as there's going to be handouts between 15 and 40% of eligible costs. So uh, th- th- this could amount to, over 10 years, $17.7 billion dollars. You know that uh, could be uh, handed out in different ways, right? And uh, then, of course, uh, you also have the Federal Canada Growth Fund, which is fifteen billion dollars to build the Canada's clean economy. Uh, the provincial government is um, picking up on this as well. Like uh, BC Hydro is going to give a discounted rate for a renewable hydrogen strategy, uh, and it's one of its initial steps is ten million dollars over three years to implement BC's hydrogen strategy. So there's a lot of a lot of money here that is available for this uh, corporation, right, uh, to build this kind of facility. Thanks, Peter. We're going to go to breakdown, and we'll pick it up again. Hello, this is Morris Shasang. To get a feel on what's happening across the country, listen to Viewpoints. For reports, interviews, and documentaries on politics, arts and culture, the environment, housing, and more, thanks to 30 journalists stationed in the Canadian provinces and territories, local news nationwide. Monday nights at 11 on CFIS 93.1 FM. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location, or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George, on Central Street West and Vance Road. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, wind up to 15K, a high of 5. A few clouds tonight, a low of minus 10. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud, wind up to 15K, a high of 3, a morning wind chill to minus 10. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're still on the uh, hydrogen ammonia plant that's uh, <clears throat> being looked at for Prince George. Uh, I'm not against the plant per se. I, uh, basically, what I would like to see is, you know, all these work that has to be done to see that it's set up and functioning properly and safely. Now, one of the things I noticed in the uh, some of the uh, information put out there was that this firm that's building it, Fortescue or whatever, says that uh, they manufacture it, but they don't ship it. So that tells me that somebody else is buying it at at the plant and making arrangements to ship it to Prince Rupert or by truck somewhere or whatever. But I haven't heard who might be doing that. 
You see, so you'll see that in your material there as you read it, Peter, that it does say, basically says that we're not, we're not shipping it, we're just producing it. I'd like to see just make make sure more of the construction jobs are, are staying here in Prince George. I think, you know, you've got the competitive bid requirements and, and whatnot, but, you know, it's a little annoying. Like when we built that $40 million swimming pool, we had a company from Alberta come in and do it. You know, and I'm, I'm sure the same thing will happen with this plant, is, is all the big contracts will be going out of province, maybe even out of country. And, you know, they talk about the $5 billion project, but how many, how much uh, of that money is staying here locally? Another another big question. Yeah, so, but, you know, and maybe John can get in on this. You know, like, we have to keep the idea that giving us 100 jobs and all the things that are going to be coming with it is not good enough. We need more than that. And other people get more than that, and we don't. I, you know, I ran across something the other day on the Columbia River that we get from the Americans uh, $200 million a year for downstream benefits for the Columbia River Dam. We've been getting that for about 60 years, something like that. 1959, I think they built it. Anyway, a little one-liner in there that says that this $200 million a year is to be used uh, and spent in areas affected by the, by the dam. Well, isn't that wonderful? I didn't know that. Hmm. So they've been getting $200 million a year down there in that area, the Columbia River, for 60 years. And we've been paying more and more rates for uh, for our hydro as the price is going up because we take the money. We could take the hydro, but we take the money. And somebody's getting that money, but it's not Prince George, I don't think. Hmm. You know. So what do you think, John, about all this? Well, I've got no problem with uh, them putting a plan together. you got to remember they're saying that there's going to be 100 direct jobs uh, but then we're going to have to augment our emergency services locally because we uh, it can't have a hydrogen plant generating hydrogen and ammonia and not have an increased risk uh, for fire safety. So as long as this is all done in a, in a safe manner and that's accounted for uh, in the building, I don't have a problem with it. It's when you turn around and you build something, then you don't think about the worst case scenario happening that's a concern for me uh you know you just it's it's not just running out dragging a hose and squirting water on it i mean we're talking about highly volatile chemicals where they're also not discussing the oxygen component in in creating the hydrogen uh, i mean yeah. electrolysis it's two parts hydrogen one part oxygen what are they doing with the oxygen um you know, yeah, off-gassing it, just letting it go, yeah. So uh, there, there's some more questions that need to be asked. But from a safety aspect, as long as they uh, understand that we're going to have to have tertiary businesses added to the uh, 100 base jobs, um, then then it's a, it's a good idea. I, I like to see it go ahead. But they've got to be looking at it from a safety perspective start right from the beginning. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different things that happen. It's interesting that I think the chief of the uh, lately today said they were brought in on this in, in 2021. And uh, the city and, you know, some of these other people that are involved have been involved in it for quite a while, almost two years. Joe and Jane Citizen, just hearing about it now, 
And because a lot of stuff like this is all done behind closed doors, council meetings and things like that. <clears throat> but we did a while back have the fire department made a recommendation to the city that they wanted a, a, another uh, fire hall located in the BCR Industrial Park. And I thought at the time, well, we just finished building one, for crying out loud, on Massey. But why didn't we build this one in the BCR Industrial Park and not bother building one in Massey? Like, what's going on? Because the whole idea behind the Massey one was so we could get to the BCR faster. So it didn't make any sense. You know, with the information you had, it didn't make sense. And then I heard somewhere, oh, they're going to train their firemen out there. Well, they train right now in Quinnell, so that didn't sound right either. But anyway... Uh, obviously, now you can look at it and say, well, maybe it was about if this plant goes through, they're going to need another fire department. In which case, I have no idea what the whole cost of that would be to the city. But somebody's got to pay for it. You create jobs, but now the, the jobs you're creating is coming out of your tax dollars. So there's all sorts of uh, things to be looked at in that. So I don't know. What do you think, James? Oh, it's just a classic, uh, classic uh, city government uh, bureaucracy strategy, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say about that, uh, Eric. Uh, you know, we'll probably have to build another fire department out there anyway. You realize you realize that uh, you can't fight when you can't win when you fight city hall. It's gonna probably gonna happen, and. Uh, you know, I, I guess I, I would uh, like to see if they are going to build one. It would be nice to have that tax base out there to be able to support something like that. Yeah, of course, at this point, we don't know just what the tax base would be, but we'll, I guess we'll get that down the road. Herb, what do you think? Yeah, I think the big danger here is someone's got to look at the numbers. And, uh, I mean, there was a lot of fuss made about uh, the Bitcoin uh, 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 company coming to town and all the jobs it would produce. But really... It was just, uh, it came because uh, electricity was cheap. So they got electricity from BC Hydro at five cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, you know, ratepayers, uh, residential ratepayers pay about 11 cents or 12. Um, you know, are, are these big projects just a, a means of uh, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul? And we're Peter and, you know, these, these big projects are Paul. So... You know, it, it's someone's got to sit down and look at the numbers and say, okay, does this actually make sense? Or are we just subsidizing a big company yet again to come into town and use our resources? It's also, it's a, we're also not sure if we're going to have enough power to support something like this. I mean, with these, these Bitcoin operations are already projected to consume half the power produced by Site C. Well, there's, there's been a moratorium on new Bitcoin operations. Well, that's in court right now. We don't know if that'll stand mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, so let's let's hope it does. Okay, we're going to take a break now. Then we'll be back for some more ammonia. The 47th Anniversary Studio Fair is Friday through Sunday at CN Centre, and volunteers are still needed. Studio Fair is Studio 2880's biggest annual fundraiser, and your assistance will help make this year's event another huge success. Help is required for 50-50 sales and booth relief, with two-hour shifts available each day. To get involved with their Premier Arts and Crafts Festival, call Studio 2880 at 250-563-2880 or email lredpath at studio2880.com. 
Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And uh, Now, on this plant that they're talking about, it's Fortescue.com. And uh, that's F-O-R-T-E-S-C-U-E dot com. And they have lots of good information put out there. And I think it was at the public meeting. You could pick it up, and I think you can get it. At City Hall, but in any event, if you go to that uh, uh, website, they can tell you where you can pick it up, and you can just read through it. It's quite a bit of reading, and for me, somewhat complicated, because I get complicated very early on and lots of reading. But anyway, uh, James, you wanted to say something? Or Herb, I should say. Yeah, just a, a brief overview of the different types of hydrogen. Uh, uh, there's white, gray, blue, brown, and green. Uh, the, the, the newest type is white hydrogen, which basically is uh, hydrogen that uh, naturally occurs in the Earth's crust. And there's, uh, it's just recently actually been, been looked at, and um, some analysis has said that uh, if we can manage to extract 1% of the world's natural hydrogen, uh, we would uh, be producing five times uh the yearly production that we are are now for the next 200 years, and that is uh, that comes with absolutely no environmental or very little environmental costs. So that's I mean that's something that uh, you know maybe we should be looking at too. Um, it, and just just for a, a, a background for people, uh, gray uh, hydrogen is produced from methane gas. Uh, blue hydrogen also produced from methane gas, but is used. But they use carbon capture to um, uh, to make it more environmentally friendly. Uh, brown hydrogen is, comes from coal, and then green is from renewable energy, uh, 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 as as uh, as Peter Zalwer described. So, just a, a brief background there. Good, thanks, Herb. John, did you want to say something? No. Okay, I just want to. Uh, <laughs> just, rare just occasion. Gonna, <laughs> I'll say something. Here. Oh, oh the, Peter wants to say something. <laughs> yeah, no, I think what we have to look at here is, um, you know, just the the overall context here. You know, where we have uh, the the Fortescue project, uh, hydrogen uh, 
ammonia project. But we also have, uh, like uh, last spring, the Hydra Energy uh, Hydrogen Hub project, which was announced for locally. And then we also have the McLeod Lake Indian Band uh, is a memorandum of understanding with Mitsubishi and to to build a multi-billion dollar uh, facility facility there. Five billion, yeah. Five billion, right? So, so I think what we have to, I think for further further discussion would be useful to look at this. Okay, what does that mean in terms of the? You know the the regional and local economy, and uh, how is this? Uh, what is possible to build upon that? Right. I think that's a, a discussion that will develop as well. Well, what I'm thinking is that we need somebody, Prince George, somebody with the skill and expertise to sort of look after, and I call them Joan and or Joe and Jane's citizen because we're the ones that are not represented. I mean, you can say we're represented by City Hall, but I'm not seeing it, and I haven't seen it in, in any number of years. The real interesting stuff, uh, which has long-term effects on us, is all done behind closed doors and closed meetings, and we don't have access to that information. And if we do, it takes a long time to get it. So we need somebody in the public domain that's not necessarily pro or con, but can look at all aspects of a, a deal like this, because we've got to think for a minute. This company, I read, uh, I was kind of curious why they got out of Australia. They don't have the power, the, the cheap power in Australia that we have here. And they had to get it from, you know, all those other things like windmills and all the rest of it. They just don't have it. And so they looked around for a place to get cheap power and they came to Prince George. Well, you know, we just mentioned the, uh, thing down on the Fraser River there is burning up all kinds of power because there's no jobs there. And this one here is going to burn up all kinds of power. There's no jobs there. If you took that amount of power and decided to use it to build industry that created jobs, you get a hundred times more jobs at half the cost. We're giving away free power. So somebody over in... uh, Japan or Korea or wherever this stuff goes. One or China, some of them are making fertilizer. The other one using that hydrogen to uh, make electricity. And they can thank us for, for picking up the cost of that. So I don't think that's a good thing at all that, the, that uh, we need more out of this. But we need somebody who knows what's going on. Just an example. You know, they shut down a BC rail here almost. It's running on a you know, like it's a one-legged man. It's getting by, but it's not doing a very good job. And so we got this beat-up railway now that used to be in pretty good shape. And now we're going to run ammonia trains over from, say, McLeod Lake to Prince George. Not without some pretty serious upgrades to that rail track, I'll tell you. And we need somebody to look into that and see how much they've looked after the roadbed since the CN took it over and what it would cost to run dangerous goods, ammonia trains on that track. Are we going to have to pick up like the CN maybe pick it up, but we don't know what the agreements are. Uh, but they're going to upgrade that. Are they going to upgrade that on their own? You know, when we try to get them to re-put in the uh, Tumblr Ridge line, they didn't run in a big hurry to do that because they had to pay for it, $20 million or something. It was finally done, but it took a couple of years. So we can't just assume that the CN is going to go and and take this stuff from Cloud Lake. 
Batman? You know, if they're going to sit in the yard till they get a train to go to Prince Rupert, I mean, it's going to cost money for the train. Yeah. But CN is a publicly traded company. We're not going to get that money. It's not going to go in our pockets. And nobody, there's hardly anybody who works for the railway anymore. Two guys on the head end of a 100-mile train when there used to be five people on the train. Now there's only two. Yeah, you know, we so. can talk all day long about these big, big projects, but there's a lot of little companies that uh, have been affected by the railway and the, and the lack of service, you know, little mills and, and McKenzie and all sorts of opportunities that we never, never hear about, you know, and we we hear about these big $5 billion projects for 100 jobs, and, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about it, and there'll be big debates, but, you know, meanwhile, there's so much other stuff that we can do to create a lot more jobs here locally, uh, you know, food production being being one of them. Uh, getting getting egg, getting milk production going again, getting slaughterhouses set up. And, you know, like the, the whole system is kind of set up against that. To, and and we, can't, um, we can't have those discussions. We get kind of hoodwinked by these big, glitzy projects that roll through town every once in a while. Yeah, it seems like we do. We're going to go to break now, and then we'll come back and maybe change the subject. People living with dementia may become restless or confused late in the day, a phenomenon known as sundowning. Caregivers can learn the signs and explore strategies for responding during an online workshop Tuesday, November 14th from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. To register or for more information, visit alzbc.org slash online workshops. Responding to Late Day Confusion, a free online workshop Tuesday, November 14th from 10 to 11.30 through alzbc.org. The College of New Caledonia has ongoing professional development courses for you to improve your workflow, learn new skills, or refresh existing ones. Many of their fall options are eligible for the Future Skills Grant, including Management Skills for Supervisors, Microsoft Excel Essential for the Workplace, and Microsoft Outlook Essentials for the Workplace. Your learning adventure awaits at CNC. Scheduling and full details are available through the Continuing Education Department at the College of New Caledonia. If you're between the ages of 10 and 18 and looking to join others your age for some fun, the Nachackle branch of the Public Library is the place to be every second Tuesday. It's 10s to teens, and it's a chance for kids in that age group to get together for games, activities, and more. It's a free drop-in event from 3.30 to 4.15. That's 10s to teens for ages 10 to 18. The next 10s to teens is Tuesday, November 7th from 3.30 to 4.15 at the Nachackle branch of your Prince George Public Library. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, wind at the 15K, a high of 5. A few clouds tonight, a low of minus 10. For Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud, wind at the 15K, a high of 3, a morning wind chill to minus 10. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're just going to touch on uh, housing and the high cost of housing, the extremely high cost of housing in Vancouver and on the island now. The island's really going up fast. Um, the Vancouver, or Metro Vancouver, is going to increase their, um, what they call the increase of development cost charges by 250%. <laughs> this is going to result in a humongous increase to the price of houses down there, which are already out of touch of, uh, you know, the average Joe just can't buy a house anymore. So I think I'll just go around the table. Does anybody have any idea where this housing thing is going to stop? I mean, it's getting to the point of being insane. 
and yet it's still going up. John? Well, that's the the whole logic of maybe Vancouver wants to stifle housing. Uh, you, uh, you stifle it by charging way too much for it, and people are forced to leave Vancouver and go to the outskirts to turn around and find housing. So uh, maybe it's a some sort of backwards way of slowing down the housing in, in Vancouver. It's my logic, right? That's what I see. Actually, actually, that um, that was a regional regional district or the, the Metro Vancouver Metro board. Vancouver, so, yeah. so I think that might those high wages or those high rates might apply to surrounding areas as well down there. So I, I don't think anybody's getting a break. Um, there's there's so much ridiculous red tape on on building stuff, you know, and and all and all, probably all the cities. Some might be better than others, but the, the city of Vancouver itself is just ridiculous. The the stuff you have to go through to get build something like a little carriage house in your backyard, you know, all the zoning that that requires uh that restricts more dense development, like uh, something with a couple of stories versus a single family dwelling. Same deal in Prince George. You know, there's there's a lot of it's probably it's probably a little bit easier here. But then uh, you want to build a house, the government comes around and says you got to take a course to to learn to build one. You you need to have an approved course. I think that's like a four thousand dollar course you got to take to be able to build a house. You know, we never used to do that before. So yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, things uh, that that could be changed to to make it cheaper to to build a house for sure. Uh, I'd have to look into more about what the Metro Vancouver, what those rates have to do with probably, probably sewer, pro- probably a lot of the expensive development that's that's that is happening out in the suburbs, is my guess. You know, I used to follow the the Metro Vancouver board meetings quite a bit, and you know they're building real expensive infrastructure to to service those surrounding areas, big water mains, big sewer mains, and all that kind of thing. So, might have something to do with that. Yeah, that's what it's about. It's about the. Uh Water and sewer primarily. Peter? Yeah, well, I think that the, what's necessary is a whole different tack to this housing problem. You know, because even when they're talking about uh, the, the current kind of things that they're putting forward, they're not going to solve the uh, housing shortfall, whether it's uh, people being able to own houses or, uh, or, or rent at uh, reasonable rates. And I think that what what's needed is a is a is an approach where government takes the lead on this whole thing, where it's, uh, in terms of building nonprofit housing on a large scale, when you build the nonprofit housing that way, uh, you eliminate the, the the developer cost, and and governments are able to uh, get loans for this at a very reduced rate, and then of course over the years the income from uh, uh, from, from mortgages that are, are, are put forward or rent and all this, you know, just moves things ahead in terms of uh, what the government is doing. Now, th- that happened to some extent after the Second World War when the government stepped in and built what were called army houses, like including in Prince George here. And uh, it was a successful program, I remember, because uh, we actually lived in one of them uh, for a while. And um, so I think that looking at this housing thing is, uh, if we're just looking at it through the old eyes and the old ways and all that, I don't think anything is going to get solved. It's going to continue from crisis to crisis. We need new ways of, of looking at things, new ways of doing things. It's possible to solve this problem, but um, I, I really think it's a, it's, a, it's a question of uh, looking at the nonprofit option and the, the, the government uh, 
spearheading this whole process. Yeah, I saw an interesting uh, segment on the National about uh, a software developer in Fredericton who decided that he'd become a millionaire and sold his business and decided that he was going to help the homeless situation in Fredericton. So he's built, uh, or he's in the process of building 99 small houses, and uh, he's doing it for $12 bucks. <coughs> So it can be done, and you know they're they're nice looking houses. They're I think just one bedroom, but you know it's got a, a complete living room and uh, a kitchen and bathroom. So they're not uh, he's not skimping on it. Um, Twelve million for a hundred houses. That's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a piece. Uh, and um, he's uh, finding all sorts. You know they've got a complete little community with uh, with uh, security cameras, and uh, uh, it seems to be uh, <clears throat> seems to be working. So there's there's solutions out there. We just have to start looking for them and uh, and demanding our politicians find them. The, you know the other the other thing that comes to mind in terms of homelessness in Prince George is that uh, you know we've we've got all sorts of logging camps uh, out there in the bush. Uh, we can we can build them in a matter of weeks, if not months. And um, uh, you know why are people still living in tents on the street? I mean that's ridiculous. So it's and, and those those are not expensive housing. Uh, how how come we're not doing it? Well, one reason it, you may not be doing it because it was me and somebody trying to build me a house like that. I tell them where to put the house because you're getting into second, third, fourth, fifth class citizens. So I got a hundred, I got an eight hundred thousand dollar house for you up on uh, University Heights, but down over here you can have one for uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars live in a one-room shack or a one-apartment shack. I, I don't buy that at all. I think that, the, you know, in a country where we're supposed to be equal to some extent, see, what we've done is we've taken the opportunity to earn money away from a lot of people in this country, and then we jacked up the prices and basically starved them out of the, the whole game. They're not in the game anymore. Only those, the rich and fancy are in there. That's not good enough. And you know who's contributing to it as much as anybody else? The city and their cost charges and that. They're one of the big ones. They, they should get that down to the lowest possible denominator to keep the price of the houses down. And we should have something in there to stop the gouging. Because what's happening here is just mega gouging. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say that we don't build houses like we used to build even 30 years ago. You, you look at College Heights... You know, we don't build houses like that anymore. They're all these huge kind of mega mansion type houses with massive square footage. With two that, people in them. With two people in them. I think, I think Herb's got a point, you know. I think, I think we can build more housing for cheap. We just have to, it's just the market isn't there for it, unfortunately. It is and it isn't at the same time. We're going to go for a breakdown. We'll come back and build you a little house. Nominations are now being accepted for the 2023 Premier's Awards for Indigenous Youth Excellence in Sport. Indigenous youth up to age 24 who are permanent residents of Prince George and enrolled in school or actively planning to pursue post-secondary education are eligible. Full details are available through the Indigenous Sport Physical Activity and Recreation Council website at ispark.ca. The nomination for deadline for the 2023 Premier's Awards for Indigenous Youth is November 24th. 
Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Hi, I'm Darren Guest from Northland Dodge. People hate buying cars. I hate buying cars. If you're holding off buying because you don't want to deal with the hassle, I'm here to make it easy for you. Northland Dodge has more trucks in stock than we have had in the past three years. Plus, we have a huge assortment of awesome used trucks and SUVs. No pressure, no hard sell. Stop by for a coffee and I'll help you find the vehicle that's right for you. I'm Darren Guest, Northland Dodge, dealer number 30541. Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics? Yes. Cheesecake, carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs. Do these specialty baked goods taste good? People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners? Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And, uh, of course, anything within the city limits is where they want to keep it. And then that drives up the price of the lots or whatever. <clears throat> Maybe it's time for us to move on into the regional district and build houses out there. Revive the old BC Rail so we can commute all the way from the Cloud Lake to Prince George or even from Red Rock to Prince George. Train comes in in the morning, goes back at night, and we don't have to live in Prince George. We'll pay taxes to the regional district. They'll still get a lot of it because they're the biggest part of the regional district. But we don't have to be here. Uh, we're here because it's convenient. That's where the shopping is and everything. But there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, they should be doing everything in their power to continue that growth rather than kill it off. And we're into now the old, you know, kill the goose that laid the golden egg. And there's an article here, I don't know if we're going to get into it, but it's, you know, the Gen XYZ or whatever. They're all stressed out. You know, they're all, they haven't got any money, they can't pay their bills, they're going to lose their houses. And we're talking like maybe 50 in Canada, 100, 200, 400, 500,000 people or more. Are all being, uh, you know, to their detriment. The, this system is killing them off, you know, and it's not good. And so, what do you hear? You hear that EB sold his condo for made one hundred fifty thousand dollars on it, but it was okay. It was good reasons for doing that. Or you find out that an MP in uh, in uh, or some MPs in Ottawa own three houses mm-hmm. and they're speculating on the sale. I mean, <clears throat> I was thinking, you know. The best way to protect your chickens is to get yourself a fox and put him in the chicken coop. You look after the chickens. Okay? <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're putting politicians in places of responsibility, but they forget the responsibility part. Their responsibility is to look after our interests, not theirs. And not necessarily the business interests. To a certain degree, go 60-40 or 70-30, but we got to be in there somewhere. Right now, it's all give to us so we can give to somebody else and look good. I don't buy that. So, 
What do you think, Herb? Uh, well, interesting story here. I got a neighbor who's who has a friend who's a computer programmer who moved, sold his um, condo in Richmond for I don't know six hundred, seven hundred thousand bucks, and moved out uh, outside of Grand Prairie, about ten kilometers outside of it. Bought a small farm, twelve acres, I believe, and um, does all his work remotely. He's got uh, Starlink, and um, yeah, he's he's uh, he's done with the city. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen. I, basically, the cities are, if they're not, if they don't smarten up. They're just going to price themselves out of existence. And uh, you know, th- this is uh, this is maybe is, is uh, a way forward for Prince George too. You know that we we do have a lot of uh, land around the city. Why why do people have to live in it? I don't really know anymore. I mean, really, people don't have to com- commute into work every day, and uh, if they can work remotely. And a lot of people can. Um, it's going to change things. I, I think a big, a big part of what we're seeing as well is this, this new kind of system of development. You know, if you, you looked at how we developed uh, the, the city about thirty years ago, you'd have a, you'd subdivide a, a, parcel, a piece of land, and each parcel would get developed by its own little carpenter kind of general contractor unit. You know, that's all being replaced with these kind of big these big developers that do whole neighborhoods at a time. And I think that really, I think that's detrimental to a lot of things, not not, not just affordability, but, um, you know, how interesting those neighborhoods are, the kind of diversity in the block. All the houses now look the same. They basically level every single tree in the whole block. You know, you go up on the hard highway, they left a whole bunch of trees. And the reason is because each, each little lot was was developed uh, separately that, that the idea of you know moving out to the out to the farm i think that's also an interesting idea i mean you look at saskatchewan alberta those places were just dotted with with rural small communities and it's all all being taken away by these big kind of mega farms and honestly i think we got to kind of move move back to that that sort of lifestyle i i do think ultimately there are more more people should be living rurally than than in urban areas which which has been the opposite of what's happened in the last 50 years Peter? Yeah, the, what we're dealing with is an overall housing crisis, and it's hitting uh, different sections of the population. You know, there's, of course, the, uh, the, 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 young, the young people who want to uh, buy a house but can't afford the mortgage. Uh, you have people who have existing mortgages right now, like uh, who are subject to these interest rate increases. Uh, you have uh, the situation where pensioners and, and others are uh, paying high rents and can't afford the, the rents. And then you have the homeless people, right, who are being pushed out onto the street, you know, because of uh, uh, all this uh, kind of stuff that's happening. You know, so I think when we look at this, we have to take this into account that it is a crisis, but we need new ways of doing things. We can't look at things with old, old ways or old eyes. We have to find new ways, innovative ways to, to solve this problem. And I think uh, I'm not impressed by anything that's gone on so far, either at the provincial or federal level. And I, and I think we need to, to move away from the, the old way of doing it and uh, looking at new ways. Yeah, things move a little bit too fast for us to uh, stay on top of it all the time. Did you want something to add to that, John? No? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was looking right. at an article here on the uh, uh, sees a, Canada sees a rapid rise in foreign students. So, from two thousand the year two thousand uh, to uh, two thousand twenty two, we were at about uh, I don't know hundred thousand maybe. 
We're at 800,000 foreign students a year now. So now, international education, 800,000 a year, so it's about 22 billion to the Canadian economy, just from the students. So all the universities and colleges in Canada, that's the greatest thing since, uh, you know, slaves bread. I mean, just get some more students, we got more money. <clears throat> but they also come and they take, they take the uh, part-time jobs and then they take, uh, you know, they drive the economy, but, but we don't have jobs for all these people. So now they're talking about changing the, the students and, and how they can apply for jobs and, and try to cut back on uh, foreign students coming into the country. But the thing is, they created a problem. And then when it gets out of control, then they want to start changing things to solve the problem. In the meantime, it costs everybody else a fortune. Up, uprooted people, people have plans to move here and, and build a future here or something, aren't going to be able to do it. I, I personally think that our governments on all levels are totally out of control, incompetent, and we need to start at the beginning and start over, not just with doing what they think is a good idea. They don't have any good ideas. They have a long, long list of failures, failed projects that didn't work. And we, we can't go on like that. No. You know, it just can't be done. So, what do you think, Peter? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I would say, yeah. Yeah, like we have to look at what's happening when it's not working and all this, and we need we need new ways and we need fresh eyes to look at it. And uh, there are ideas out there, and we need to involve the the population needs to be involved in terms of uh, discussing, you know, ways forward rather than having, uh, you know, uh, ideas or crackpot ideas imposed upon us by governments. The other, the other issue that we didn't get into, there was lots of them, but one of them was the uh, the uh, code of conduct for the major grocers and how they're going to do something to look after the grocery price. And they're working in, con in conjunction with the government. And yeah. it's already falling apart. The yes. wings are coming off. Pontoons have holes in them. And they're going down. And we're going down with them. And that's it for this week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next Monday. Was there something you wanted me to add there? Um, just remind you to switch your clocks back this week. Oh, yeah. Clocks back this weekend. Daylight saving time. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by local businesses like New Look Interiors, now located at number 12E, 1839 First Avenue.